Logo Geeks, it's Ian Paget here, and I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. Today, we're going to be joined by Jesse Maisonave to discuss his approach for creating distinct illustrative logos. But first, I want to give a shout out to the perfect match you have sponsored this podcast, and that is a creative challenge from Adobe. There's some great prizes up for grabs, but by simply placing an entry, you will be gifted with a $50 gift voucher. So like I said, just by entering, you're going to get $50. So if you want to do that, take these simple steps. So step one, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. Step two, from there, choose a brand name from the provided list. Take a note of the product or service it provides, the target market and the differentiator. And then step three, based on those three things, spend 30 minutes out of your day to create a mood board using Adobe stock images and then place your entry. So by simply entering, like I've already said, you will be gifted with a $50 gift voucher. But on top of that, if your mood board design communicates those three things clearly, you could become a contestant on Adobe's monthly live game show for a chance to win $1,000. And on top of that, throughout August and September 2022, you could also win a Wacom tablet too. And also throughout that time, for every entry submitted, not only will you get $50, Adobe will also donate $25 to the National Partnership for Women and Families. So by simply entering, you're helping to donate money to charity. So again, to learn more about that and to enter for a chance to win $1,000, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. So moving on to this week's interview, If you spend any time in the Logo Geek community on Facebook, you will have come across this week's guest, Jesse Maisonave. Jesse is someone who is very active in the group. Um, He's frequently sharing his logo design work and it's consistently really solid work. I would actually go as far as saying that I feel that he's one of the most talented designers in the community. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get him on because I feel this is someone that it would be really great to meet. And, you know, when someone's only posting in the Facebook group and you've never seen them on a podcast or uh, anything else, it'd be really great to meet them, right? So I thought I'd get Jesse to come on and to chat. So with logo design, you'll be aware that simplicity is a key element. And by making a logo simple allows the logo to be versatile, which makes total sense. And that's why we're seeing more and more minimal style logos being produced globally. Because, you know, a logo, if it's simple, it works really well at small sizes. It works on social media. It works in all these different um, situations. Now, I'm a strong believer in simplicity, but there are situations where going too minimal just loses something. And there's always going to be scenarios where 
something with a distinct illustrative style that's a little bit more detailed just works. It's just appropriate. And this is something that Jesse's really good at. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get him on, not only so that everybody can meet him and get to know him, but also so that we can talk about this topic. So in this interview, what we're going to do is spend some time with Jesse to learn about his background, find out how he got into graphic design. But most importantly, like I said, I really wanted to spend time with him to talk about his approach for creating those distinct illustrative style logos. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Jesse Mazanave. So Jesse, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the podcast is because I've been um, following your work online. You're quite active in the Logo Geek Facebook group and I've always really admired your work and I was thinking, you know, since I haven't heard you do a podcast previously, that I'll get you on this show and I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this conversation and I'm sure that uh, listeners will do uh, too. So I, I think probably um, the best place to start with this is something that I like to do a lot with the podcast is try and un uncover people's stories. So um, a lot of people see your work, what you're doing now, but I think a good place to start would be to sort of run through how you originally got into graphic design. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, you know, it's probably similar to a lot of uh, graphic designers in the group or, uh, but I was always into drawing really since a, a pretty young age and um you know like devoured comic books uh tried to replicate the art in there and just you know doodling around in my free time it was it was a hobby uh, growing up uh, and then high school hit and uh we didn't have the same sharing technology back then um so you know drawing on desks until <laughs> teachers sort of catch you and ask you to to clean up all the desk of the room <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that it's just always into art really and uh i i was lucky enough to have a stepfather at the time that had a bootleg version got his hand on a bootleg version of photoshop mm -hmm. and then you know it expanded sort of like drawing solely on paper to be able to scan your stuff and experiment with the digital side of things so uh, in high school, I, I did maybe, you know, a few band posters. I, I was hanging out with a musician in high school. So um, kind of like gradually fell into that path, I would say. And uh, I tried uh, art college, never finished it. It was not quite what I was looking for. I, and I uh, there was a break in my education at, at, at some point. And uh, when I decided to to go back to school, there was a, a two-year sort of trade school program uh, in my hometown. And uh, just I ran with it and, you know, fell in love with the what graphic design had to offer. And uh, I ended uh, in 2016 that course. So a little bit back now and uh, did an internship uh, got got a job after the internship and uh at, at the place i did the internship mm -hmm. and just uh you know never left never looked back so 
Yeah, it sounds like you had, um, you know, very natural progression. Um, so, something I experienced growing up is doing a lot of drawing like you did, and I'm sure that a lot of graphic designers fall into this camp. You, uh, people make comments about it, like positive comments, which yeah. is nice to hear. And I think that encourages you to do more of it. And you ended up, you, you end up falling into that uh, category where you want to progress with that, with further education and so on. Was it always graphic design that you wanted to focus on? Or was it just more that you was into art and that's where you wanted to? Yeah, um, the latter, I would say, like, uh, it, it's exactly what you pointed out. Like you get positive feedback, you sort of, you know, develop, or wrap yourself around I, this artist's identity and mm -hmm. uh, kind of what was the safest bet financially in my mind, uh, you know, to invest some time and uh, do something with my life was graphic design. So yes, more art, art type guy. And I saw an opportunity to make some, you know, make a living out of it. Yeah, make a life from graphic design, which is pretty cool. I, I, I think um, anyone that works as a graphic designer, I think we're very lucky that we um, have kind of, you know, we was really into drawing growing up. And now as adults, we are yeah, getting paid to draw, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so anyone that follows your work online, they would assume that you are a full-time independent graphic designer. Because you are churning out a lot of work and it's like really high quality. And that's something that I want to talk about probably later on in the conversation. But it, looking through things like your LinkedIn and um, I, I read an interview that you, you did. If I understand right, and that interview that I found of yours was a few years old now, but you do have a full time job. Is that still the case? Still the case. And, uh, you know, uh... I'm, I, I do have a family and it terrifies me like uh, being solely freelancing or uh, having that ebbs and flows of financial, you know, struggle. So uh, it, on my social, I, I, I get what you mean. Like I, I do like to, to put stuff out there and I do it often, but you do a lot. <laughs> yeah. Very frequent. It's, it's kind of like, you know, we can dwell into it a bit further down in the interview, but uh, I, I'd rather do this and watch TV or mm -hmm. like creating stuff for yourself to me is a bit more uh, of an escape of like this, you know, little trouble, troublesome things of life and uh, keeps keeps me going kind of thing. Those little projects and sure. um, and I, it comes back to that positive feedback too. I think there's something addictive to uh, social media platform response, uh, and I would like that to say that I'm not into that. Like, uh, so yeah, I do understand it. Okay, so you have a full time job, you have kids, you're doing freelance, you are doing an awful lot of stuff, and I am I'm quite interested about this. What you mentioned about feeling somewhat fearful of going freelance because am I understanding right because I, I think a lot of what you post online is client work right yeah the, the, I would say 70 30 percent so 30 percent would be client work and 70 percent is plain you know exploration and uh, having fun with it you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's really admirable really that you are in this place where you have a full-time job you have your family you're doing 
um, stuff that you enjoy that that's fun. But I do think you know you should probably consider at some point taking that leap. And and I think a lot of people will be able to relate with this. And I was in the same place mm. um, a few years back where um, uh, I think it's from growing up the way that you are supposed to do things, you know, in, in society, if you're going to follow the uh, standard uh, way of living is you go to school, you, you get educated, you go out there, you get a job, you buy a house, all this sort of stuff. And to jump out of that framework or that system that, that, uh, that culture has, has taught us to, is actually quite scary. So I was also in that position where I had um, a full-time job. I, I worked as a creative director, so it was a really good job. It, it paid well. Um, I did really good work that I enjoyed. Um, it was very uh, quite a stressful job, and I tend to perform really well under pressure. So, you know, for me, that environment was really good. But also, like you, uh, I was doing stuff on the side of that full-time job, and um, I felt that fear of um, taking that taking that leap, even though the freelance stuff that I was doing was successful. I was do, doing a lot of stuff. My, you know, socials were growing. My name was getting out there. I was getting more and more, more work. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're in that similar position where you have this stability from your full-time job, but yeah. you actually have this thing that could you know you could take the uh, leap is is there any niggling feeling in your head in any way that you you would potentially take the leap or are you quite comfortable in the sense that you have that full-time job that's um fulfilling you and and bringing in in an income because i think people will relate with this yeah no it's i'd say it's a daily battle honestly uh but uh the the comfortable side of things like financially and and makes me not want to rush towards there or maybe one day kind mm-hmm. of thing uh mm-hmm. you know yeah um, yeah i think i think the key thing is that you're building up that portfolio you're building up that platform and um in a way it's kind of like a safety net should anything happen and i think yeah. i actually think that all graphic designers like no matter what you want to do like if you you know if you do want to work for agencies and there's there's benefits of working for companies of course and some people just prefer it but i think it's good to have and and to build a platform of your own so that in Mm. worst case scenario you know say for example if anything should happen in your life where not necessarily related to work but i mean you you could lose your job but say if you uh suddenly needed to relocate for whatever reason exactly uh, having that foundation that company on the side it gives you this safety net so if you do suddenly need to quit your job and relocate you can take on the freelance work and stuff exactly. like that so i think what you've done is actually a really good um safety net it's i think in our field it's it's almost uh you know with inflation and all that like i don't know a lot of companies that can sort of support you to what life really is today it's almost a necessity for designers to to be able to branch out and find passive income and uh, you know, uh, just have that extra cushion to, to round up the months, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, it's a plus in our field that we can do that. I think, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we're very lucky as graphic designers that if we want to create something, 
we have all the skills to start companies and no other industry has this exactly. like every other skill set um you know doctor plumber whatever yeah, they yeah. have to use somebody else to start a company but as a graphic designer we can we can create our own logo we can create our own brand and identity we can build our own website if you can write content too then you can write all of the content literally we can do everything to start our own company so it doesn't even need to be like logo design it could be graphics for t-shirts and you can start selling products this, there is literally endless stuff that graphic designers can do i i think the um power of the tools that we have the uh, fact that we can create our own products create our own brand create our own identity um use social media literally we can be a, a one-man uh company without needing to use anyone else and it's it's cool to to have that power really definitely <laughs> Definitely. Okay, I want to talk about your work, and that's the reason why I uh, got you on here. So, for anyone listening that hasn't seen your work, you do a lot of logo design work, but I I want to add that there's a very distinct style to it. You use a lot of illustration type styles, which some people would say is potentially a little bit too detailed for logos. But something that I really like about what you do is that you do create systems so that they are very versatile still so i want to start by talking about your general style um so you you have this really distinct style where has that come from is, is, is that something that you created yourself or have you been inspired by something that you've seen somewhere and you you're developing it from there specifically the illustrations or like uh, it is if you look at your work, there's a very distinct style to it. I uh, I could probably tell your work from uh, like if if uh, you know 50 graphic designers pinned up uh, their work on a wall, I would probably be able to pick yours because you have a very distinct style and approach to your work. I was just wondering if that was inspired by anything, or is that just you know you've you've just developed that yourself by by working and yeah working. Like practicing a lot, like you, we yeah. sort of covered. Like uh, I, I produce a lot of stuff, and I think the main driver was always illustration. So, you know, you're you're taught in school to geometrical logos or uh, to simplify at all costs, mm -hmm. and it, it it taught me composition and um, you know just general arrangements of logo, but. I always was driven by illustration and uh, the stuff I put online is uh, a bit what I want to attract uh, work-wise or just mm -hmm. continue to push. So I think practicing illustration and trying to make it fit into the, the graphic design realm of logos has been what that style has evolved to be. Like uh, just always trying to push a bit more of it in <laughs> in the process or uh uh making it relevant like you like using a main illustration uh something like a like a hero piece and then breaking it down to make it applicable to what can be used without as much detail without just the illustration being the logo so uh but influence wise i i look at a lot a lot of design uh in general, like I doom scroll design a lot <laughs> and um, I, I follow quite a lot of 
designers online and you know inspiration comes from kids books uh kids movies other designers um really a bit from everywhere it's cliche to say but it's it's kind of like always on and uh yeah like some some other really good artists that uh i think influence the the, the design style i have uh, just to name a few um lauren griffin uh she, she she's at typograph on instagram and i would qualify my work as like a similar approach like uh, very illustrative and um just detailed mm-hmm. so uh there's something about i think like an older era of graphic design that had sort of those detailed and uh like i i i'm not so uh, studied in graphic design history but there was an advertising era that was just like so max uh maximalist instead of minimal minimal sorry i'm french so there's yeah a don't worry i know what you mean so there's something that I've always been sort of drawn by these very elaborated artists uh, and their artistry was so, I don't know, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at uh, very uh, simplified and geometrical logos, I, I see their need and I see uh, their importance in the graphic design world. But by preference, I I tend to shy away from that style. Just it's less personal or something. Like there's, uh, even though not everybody can have the the wits to to simplify a logo to like a pure sort of shape or very recognizable form. Uh, sometimes it's so oversimplified that it, it feels like anybody could have the that mark to to be anything. You know, like any business could have it for uh their own so yeah i think when um because i i think this is an interesting thing to bring up so with logo design if you follow the rules Mm -hmm. or like those rules don't really exist the the primary function of a logo is identification so exactly what that looks like there are rules but they're not necessarily set in stone and one of them is um simple yeah and i've always thought that this is a complicated thing to understand and to explain to people as to exactly what simple means because i i think people interpret simple as being as simple as apple and nike exactly and i think there is an argument that 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 is the case for large corporates because there there is an aesthetic associated to large corporate organizations. And I think very simple shapes seem appropriate for that. But you rightfully mentioned that there is something lost. And if you simplify down so much that you are literally left with something that's lifeless Mm -hmm. which happens a lot you see this a lot online like there are these like really i guess generic generic boring uninspiring 
logos that are out there just because they have been simplified down so much that they've lost something. Yeah. And a lot of the work that you do has a lot of illustrations and there will be people that will argue that this is too detailed for logo design. And, and to some extent it is for, for exactly what you just mentioned. Like, I don't think uh, a big corporate uh, uh, environment would adopt uh, those. It's kind of niche a little bit. So Yeah, but there's going to be... So as a graphic designer, we need to understand... Um, I think semiotics is probably the best word to use. Like the, the semiotics associated with certain style of imagery and there are logos like what you do, which have really nice illustrations in there. Um, there is this sort of vintage feel to it. And that mm -hmm. just seems so appropriate to the type of clients that you're working with. Like there are certain companies and certain industries where this style is appropriate and and why i wanted to raise simplification is okay you created an illustration and you could deem it like very detailed but it's not they are still simple you still simplified it down like when you look at it from a distance it's still simple like there's you've got one focal point you've got you like you you are following the general rule of simplification it, it doesn't mean minimal it just means simple like um you've narrowed it down to one core idea sure that one core, core idea just happens to be a little illustration but if it's appropriate to that industry you know think like a jam like you like you want a jam to look like it was made by your grandma you wouldn't do something like chase bank that's yeah, just really minimal because it, that would feel cold and corporate. You would want something that has this warmth and this handmade feel to it. And your work has that quality to it. So there is, um, there's always going to be industries where this sort of more um, illustrative style of work is just appropriate and just works. And um, yes, it's not minimal. Is it simple? I think so. I, I would argue that your work, it still falls into that, uh, category in the way that you are executing it because it's still um, it still performs in the way that it needs to I'll take that <laughs> <laughs> okay so I want to talk through your process so how and, and go into as much detail as you as you would like to because you know graphic designers are listening and we love all this sort of stuff so right. when you get a, a project how do you approach it like how are you Yes. Uh, yeah, just talk through it from start to finish from, you know, say getting a client through to finishing off that project. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say there's uh, I don't I don't have the proper uh, labels for them, but we'll, we'll put labels on phases, let's say. But sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a discovery sort of phase, which you meet with your project, you know, you meet with your your client and you just discuss you just uh you take in whatever they can give you to help uh sort of get the project going and so you're having a conversation conversation over the phone. you know uh always ask uh, at the end of this conversation to get some reference images so whatever they like whatever can help gear uh then the the visual conversation afterwards so uh, 
initial conversation, initial uh, request of references, visual references. And then I, I usually offer uh, two concepts uh, for logos or any work really. Like if it's a graphic tee or whatnot, like it's still, you don't want to just come up with uh, a sole idea. So um, just so that they can have option. But uh, creating those concepts, uh, I, I sometimes sketch on paper. I don't have a tablet or like a, an iPad pencil. Uh, right. I use a, um, it's like a cheap Amazon, uh, I call it my light table, but it's like, uh, it's the, the size of a tablet and there's a backlight to it and you can just like acetats really. Um, so I, I sometimes will sketch uh, an idea and then put a new sheet over it, trace it a bit better. It, d- it does what an iPad does. I just, I don't happen to have one. Uh, oh, right. So so I, I'll be honest, I actually thought you did a lot of your work on something like an iPad, just because of the style of it. It just has, um, you know, this hand-drawn look and feel that you maybe got out your iPad. I know that you like to work on, on your sofa, so I assume that you'd be sat there on like an iPad and, and drawing. So it's, it's, it's interesting to hear that you are using... Um, um, so when I was a kid, I wanted to do animation. Yes, and, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in these books, I never got one, but in these books, uh, what animators used to use, and obviously this has changed now, but they used to have these big tables with, yeah. you know, glass and then a light underneath. Yes. And it sounds like you're using something like that, but but kind of looks like an iPad. It's just like a little, you have a little spot to, to clip your paper on and you have a little button, the backlight shows up and... That's it. I like that. I like that idea because it means that you can even sit down in bed and draw because you can still see the paper. It's like an iPad, but actually paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's not good for the environment. iPads are better for that, but it just happens. To, that's I got used to this tool and now it's kind of part of the process. Um, but yeah, sketches happen there. And then I, I bring everything into Illustrator. Uh, it's my main sort of tool. And within Illustrator, what I do with the sketch is all really centered around the pen tool. So um, again, no iPad, no sort of proper digital way to draw my line work, which is, you know, it's a big part of my, uh, my craft is the line work. So I just use the pen tool and the width tool to craft the, the line work um, and usually Going back to the concept we're proposing here, like uh, our concept is pretty polished when I give it out to the client, unless it's it's very nuanced and I need to show them sketches to sort of approve a direction prior to digitize, uh, digitizing it. Um, so it's a it's kind of a a fluid process. Like some projects, uh, I feel the sketch is necessary to show the client before digitizing it, but some other ones I will take a very polished concept and show them that. Um, and I usually, I usually show one concept at a time and not two together. I don't know why. I think I'm, it's maybe part laziness, part uh, <laughs> wanting to save time. But uh, I show them a first concept and then they point out what works, what doesn't work. And we, we sort of bench that one, even though sometimes they would just go for that one. And then we create the other concept 
based on the feedback I got from the first one. Oh, interesting. So, you know, I, I already have a little tidbits of what works for the second concept. And eventually they choose a direction and we just, we, we polish it. And, uh, but, uh, back to the concept themselves, uh, I use like I sketch, but I also use, uh, lots of reference images for hands per se, uh, hard thing to draw. Um, I always, if there's an animal involved, I like to look at, uh, you know, you just Google image it. You look at, uh, at pictures of the actual thing. And then there's the, the lettering aspect of things that I, I only recently really got into, not just using fonts for uh, the word mark or uh, main sort of typography elements of a logo or a design. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to uh, receive for my birthday a book. It's the lettering manual from uh, House Industries and just perfect digestible sort of introduction to lettering and the principles that make your type not look like it's too amateurish like there's mm -hmm. some rules that you have to follow that uh makes makes up the type look uh professional and yeah i think that this is one place so i, I mentioned earlier about logo design rules that there aren't really any typography there is <laughs> because if you don't get the tiny details right then it looks amateur it yeah. just looks weird and you have to understand those rules in order to break them if, if you're breaking them by accident then it just looks sloppy Absolutely. um so if if you don't know typography and your designer logos please learn typography or just use use and edit something that is existing but yeah. it's it's probably one of the most important things that you can master and understand like like i said if there are any rules to anything in logo design Absolutely. typography design and you know i ignored it for i've been designing like professionally for since 2016 so and i've been ignoring lettering for uh, uh up until the last year and a half or two and i i kick myself uh because mm. i can say that you've been more excited growing up um and in your career about the illustration absolutely like that's your passion and um you know you've obviously realized that typography is in order to do branding and logo design and you need to be able to do typography properly absolutely and it shows like uh if ever you visit my uh, my instagram page after this and you scroll down like i, I keep i kept everything on that page and uh, you can see progress and you can see before mm -hmm paying attention to those rules, how just botchy it looked. So, uh, mm. yeah. It, I, I remember when I first got taught uh, something with typography. So I, uh, I worked on my own logo for myself and I put it on the front of my portfolio. And obviously, you know, with, with my name you know like the i a the n p a g e t there it's got the mix of the like even if you do capitals or lowercase it's got the mix of like the sharp points the flat edges and the curves and um i met up with a typography uh guy and he looked at my work and said oh you'll need to fix that um <laughs> fix that g 
Yeah. Um, because he said, you know, you're you're probably not going to get jobs because of that. And I I was like looking and I was so confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what's wrong with the G? And I I didn't say anything at first, but he got out a few books and he was sharing uh, things. I think it was. Uh, um, I, I mean, I can put some links to in 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 the show notes for typography books on top of the ones that you you've mentioned. But uh, he was talking about something called overshoot and i never heard of this before and i had no idea that you know when you have curves with a flat line that the the curve should overshoot slightly and i remember adjusting it at first to me it just looked weird because it's like that circle does line up with that yeah it took me ages to understand and um but now once i learned that and obviously other things about typography it actually helps improve um, uh, your work when working with symbols too. Yeah. Because yeah, like it, uh, th- those rules that you learn with um, typography like overshoot also apply with shapes. So if you're putting like a circle next to a square, then the circle should overshoot. Yeah. It's very interesting. And, you know, I, I want to keep at it because it, it really helped my overall composition. And, and just you feel free. You feel free, able to do a piece that has, uh, you know, what you want to do with the type plus the illustration. Uh, it, it it opens a whole new world, like as cheesy as that sounds, but like it, it's it really gives you freedom to understand those rules and to play with them. So, just before moving on to the second half of the podcast, I want to once again give a shout out to the perfect match you have kindly sponsored this episode what i want you to do is take part in a quick mood board design exercise and if you take part you will get a 50 dollars gift card for your submission and if your mood board design communicates clearly you could become a contestant on adobe's monthly live streaming game show for a chance to win $1,000. Throughout August and September, on top of that amazing $1,000 prize, you'll also win a Wacom Tablet 2. And for each entry submitted over those two months, they'll also be donating $25 to the National Partnership for Women and Families, supporting women's and children's rights. It's a win for you and a win for people in need. So take 30 minutes out of your day to take part in the perfect match. If you want to learn more about that and to enter, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. Anyway, let's get back to that interview. So I just want to sort of quickly run through again your process. So you, you first of all, speak with clients and then you request um, image references, and there's not many graphic designers that actually do that. And but another person that I know that does that is Alan Peters, who I assume that you know. He's been on the podcast previously. Yeah. He's also somebody that asks for reference images, and um, I think it's a really nice way of understanding general expectations of the client. And I think in your case, and I, I think it kind of depends on the type of work that you are doing. So you are doing. Um, or, or like you said earlier on, the type of work that you want to attract is 
more illustrative style work and um, for that reason that's what you're showing so I assume with those images that are being shared mm. uh, do they generally fall in line with what you've already done previously like do they ever like pull out you know examples of your work or do they ever show things that are completely different to to your general style uh, I would say often it's uh, there's one of my pieces in there and then a few other pieces from other artists. Sure, sure. So they clearly found your work, they like your style, and that's why they've hired you. And that makes sense. I think that's a really important lesson, actually, that, that's worth highlighting. As a graphic designer, show the type of work that you want to attract. So if there's anything in your portfolio that isn't the type of work that you want to do, please take it out and do more of the type of work that you want to do, even if it means creating some fictional work. But show the type of work that you want because you attract that that's what you're going to attract. So I think that's a really good one. Okay, so you talk with client, you get those images, you start working uh, with sketches. Um, again, I, I, I want to draw some attention and go into this section of it a little bit more because I think this is a really key part of your process. So you're not using an iPad. Um, it sounds like you would like to, um, but <laughs> you're currently using paper, tracing paper and like a light box kind of thing. Yeah. So I think sketching is a little bit of a lost skill. <laughs> um, so can we talk a little bit about this? Because I know when I've looked into the the more traditional way of doing logo design, so pre-computer era, if you look at, um, I think online, there's some really good examples of uh, the Starbucks logo, which I believe was done pre um, computers. You can see some of the work where the graphic designer stuck notes in a book and they've used tracing paper. But something that I've seen them do is like you draw your logo, and I think this applies more when it's very illustrative, and you want to do variants of that. And rather than having to, you know, draw it all from scratch, you can take a piece of tracing paper, or since you've got the light box, probably just a normal piece of paper. Yeah. You can then overlay it, redraw the parts that you want to keep, and then edit it. Is that the type of thing that you're doing? Absolutely. And you know, uh, sometimes the sketch is is more for composition. You can use your sketching for you know composition. I would say like. I, I still don't and can't uh, draw lettering in the real world. So on paper, it'll look a certain way, but I have to bring that into Illustrator to make it look polished. So sure. it's uh, the main purpose of the sketching is really just composition of your illustration itself. So pose and, uh, you know, just figure out your character or uh, whatever you're illustrating and have a, a rough idea of how you want the text placement to be. It doesn't need to be more than that. And uh, often I, I will spend more time sketching and refining, like putting a piece over, over and over uh, the previous drawing on the light box, just to get the illustration to a point that, okay, we're, we're ready to, to make it shine digitally now, like mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So. Yeah. How, how close are you getting your sketches to the final thing? I, it depends really like what style of illustration it is. Uh, I think like there's so much that I can do on paper 
that is all like it, it'll always look a certain way like uh i i do not have amazing drawing skills so i find that uh, so hard to believe it's, <laughs> it's, like it's 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 uh it's very cartoonish and it shows in my work sure. I think, but um like the sketch will be close but it's still will have a lot of uh cleaning up in illustrator and also if i want a different like a more um white on black illustration then the sketch is very more for composition and, and does not really look like the final illustration if right. that makes sense like yeah it does but i i do a lot of sketching prior to working on a logo and um i in in general i encourage graphic designers to to do that over you know using uh, electronic mediums i would i would even put like iPads into that category because there is some something to the error process. So I so how I use the sketchbook, I don't get my work anywhere near what it's going to be. It's just idea generation. So it's more that I can get like things I'm thinking about in my head and I can just scribble it down on the paper and get like a general idea. And then I'll just keep playing with that over and over again and again it, it's um this isn't stuff that i'm going to share with anyone so it is just a mess like yeah. like i've actually got my sketchbook down on the floor now and it is just it's it's just a mess yeah. like it, it's just me playing but sometimes those and and you only get this with paper i don't even think you get this on an ipad but sometimes you uh slip all the pen ink blobs out or whatever you know something weird yeah. happens it gives you something or you, and it gives you an idea that you didn't necessarily think of or like the the shake of your hand or um something you know something in that process of of hand pen or pe uh, pencil to paper yeah. it kind of takes the idea out of your head puts it on paper imperfectly and that imperfect thing then uh, uh makes you think of other things and I had that the other day because I started working on this idea and uh, it wasn't meant to be like a fingerprint, but there was something about the sketch that looked a bit like a fingerprint in one of the cases. And that actually made me think, oh, that, that, that could work. Okay, I can play with that. Yeah, <laughs> and that is why I think sketching is so important. I, I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense with the kind of work that you're doing because it is more illustration based and, you know, to, to get that general idea or and general composition on paper makes a lot of sense and it also makes a lot of sense using um paper and a light box or paper and tracing paper um i've done this before it's great fun it's it's um if you work on a computer a lot so i um the amount of screen time i have per day is probably like most of my waking day being completely honest yeah. so to get away from that and use paper is nice, but but the added layer of tracing paper is just kind of cool. It's kind of fun, and um, you know, if there's listeners that have never tried it, go and get some tracing paper from you know your local um, uh, you know paper supply company and play with this because it's how graphic designers used to do it pre-computers, and uh, it's it's bringing back a little bit bit of that craft, and I think. I think it helps to improve your work, especially if you're doing more detailed illustration kind of work like you are. 
Yeah, there's there's something about like the loose sketches that you're talking about that you're using that there's like a almost like a phantom of the design in there, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I don't know. How <laughs> okay, so going back to your process, so we we got the sketches, you were then vectorizing that. And when it came around to presenting, you you implied that you like to present more than one idea, but initially you present one. Yes. Okay, yeah. so and then so you're presenting one and then based on the feedback, you're taking that feedback and then developing other ideas. So either taking that feedback directly or maybe developing um another idea based on that. You also kind of implied that typography is treated as as a separate thing. Is that do you do the top typography within the first draft of what you're presenting? Yes. Uh, sure. Like if I don't uh, show a sketch, so if, if I show a polished concept because, you know, it's, it's clear and we can show something polished rather than a sketch to nail down a direction a bit earlier on. So uh, the lettering, the first concept will have a polished lettering style, a polished illustration, like just... Uh, in general, it could be the final piece, mm -hmm. technically. Um, and this way, I think the feedback, if, if the lettering is not quite the right style, well, we have an example to go from. So we've, sure. we've tested some principles of like ligature or uh, just boldness versus uh, something thinner or there's too much variations in the lettering or I want it. Like, you know, there's something to talk about. It's like, break. yeah, yeah. So in a way, by doing that one logo, you're creating something that should start a conversation. Yes. And then based on the feedback of that conversation, that's when you then go further and, and um, progress with, with things. Do you do that to cut corners? <laughs> uh, possibly. Or... I think possibly. I think, <laughs> you know, cut corners or I think there's something I, I get the, the mood boards and I get the the inspirational sort of decks that you can present to your client. And I, I totally see the value in there, but it's not yet part of my process. I don't know why I've, I've never, I don't know. It's not. I think, you know what I, what I think it is. I think it's with your process because you are, uh, you have that step where you are asking your client to provide examples. Now that, is almost like your client doing a mood board for you. Yeah. You know, they've given you that visual direction. So you don't need that step of adding in mood boards because you already know the, the direction that they want to go. And I think because of the nature of your uh, style, you are doing stylized artwork. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you don't need that. But I think if you're creating like a whole identity, Yes. Uh, with a lot of clients that I'm working with, they don't know what they want. Yes. Like they come to me and they're giving like abstract words and I don't know what their interpretation of classy is, for example. They might have a very different interpretation interpretation from, my, from me. So doing mood boards is good in that case because you are uh, taking words and conversations and interpreting it visually with a mood board so that you can clarify that with a client in your case you don't need to do that because because if the, kind of you it. already know what style yeah they, they've already got an expectation because you are um I, I don't mean this in a bad way by mm -hmm. the way but you you have a style of artwork that you create so when somebody comes to you they have a general expectation of the yeah. look and feel because you are 
uh, intentionally attracting that kind of work and and there there should be a general expectation when they come to work with you of what the final thing is going to look like and again that's not a bad thing that's 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 your choice and your approach and i think yeah, and it's um, present approach you know like it, there's some like you're you're saying like some people don't have like i point them out where i want them to look to give me image references as well maybe mm-hmm. something i didn't mention so they can you know they have at least uh, not everybody knows where to look for inspiration. So sure. uh, to give them uh, a place like Dribble or just Behance or uh, other sharing platform that designer put out work is helpful to your client. But um, yeah, maybe one day this will change and I'll see the value, at, you know, to, to actually push it further. That exercise is just what works for now with the time I have, you know, but yeah, I think, I think also as well, it's worth, the audience, you know, being aware that you have a full-time job, you have a family, you're kind of treating this as a hobby. So, you know, these other things, you you don't need to do that. You, you found a process that works for you. You specifically want to work on a certain style of work and you, you got the freedom to do that. Money isn't your priority. Your priority is more finding projects that interest you and excite you and exactly. you know get these uh, creative juices flowing so I, I, t- I totally get it so to, you know don't don't feel the need to explain yourself I think um, people will be inspired by it and I think even if you did eventually go full-time there's no set way of being a graphic designer Anyone that says that can, you know, <laughs> go, you know, go elsewhere because it's just not true. Yeah. I've interviewed so many graphic designers on this. Everybody works in a different way. Yeah, there's step-by-step ways and systems that people follow. And that's kind of inspired by people like Paul Rand. But, it, you know, if it doesn't matter how much you charge. It doesn't matter how, what your process is as long as you have one and you stick to it and, yeah. and you you uh, fulfill your client's goals that they've given you and uh, you know when when the the goal of this podcast is helping you to make a living doing this yeah i'm not teaching you to necessarily be the the most amazing or the most you know to do everything the right way it's more about you're finding clients you're creating work that fulfills you 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 uh are doing work that clients love and it's being used out there and that's the priority for me anyway no, I totally agree. And I don't think a process should be locked down, even though when you get one, you know, um, there's always value in exploring different ways of doing things and especially in this field. So uh, you take in what you want and you you put out the work with what you want to, to be as a process, but eventually it will change and uh you know yeah you learn and and you develop as a as a graphic designer and that makes sense okay so we don't we don't have that much long left we've already spoke for like over 50 minutes so um one of the later parts of the process is the presentation yes can you talk a little bit more about what you're showing and how you're showing that to your clients yes uh so like we've said it's really polished what i show as options so uh Usually, like the stuff I share online, is you have the family or the system of logo. Uh, in- Can I just ask, sorry to interrupt, how are you doing this? Is it like as a PDF that you're sharing over something like Zoom? Yeah, yeah uh, no, I, I usually let, let it with the client before I talk to them. Sure, uh, sure. So you're preparing like a yes. PDF 
document, you're sending that over to your clients and then you're having a follow-up call. Exactly. And sure. sometimes it's, it's as simple as an email too, uh, you know, um, but yes, it's a PDF that has the family of the, the system together. And then it sort of breaks it down into examples of uh, the use of each elements of that system. Uh, sometimes there's a, you know, like a brand pattern involved. So, you know, showcasing that if it's for a shop or, uh, something that can be physical. So either packaging design or, uh, a restaurant, I, I try to mock up some, uh, examples of how each piece would be used and, uh, yeah, follow-up feedback session. So either email or. If it's, you know, some people are more comfortable talking about it and we have a call and, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it's pretty simple, uh, like that. Mm -hmm. I, I used to do it like that. And, and one of the main reasons I, I did it that way is because I had a full-time job yeah. and booking in like zoom course, it's just not practical. And I, I assume that you're probably in that same, same boat. Yeah. Can I recommend loom? Loom. So loom is, um, a plugin that you can get or well rather a piece of software and you can screen record and record your voice and as soon as you press stop it automatically uploads nice and then you just copy paste the link and send it over over to clients so what i used to do i used to do it the way that you're doing it so i'd um uh, i send over the presentation i i used to upload it to what did i used to use i used to use one of these websites where you can Robot transfer people. over large files um and then they can download it but what used to happen and i don't know if you're having the same challenge but clients would open it before i've had the call with them and then they would show it with their friends and their family and yeah. then they would come with feedback before i've even had a conversation with them yeah and i mean that's fine and yeah. it was never a big deal but it was really annoying because it's like but I want to talk through this with you and present this to you and it's lost the opportunity. So um, once I was full time, I had the time to be able to book and Zoom calls and stuff like yeah, this. Exactly. But then it used to get really annoying because sometimes um, a lot of the companies that I work with, they have like the person that I'm working with. And then they've got a business partner they work with. Sometimes there's like a CEO and just booking in that call is, you know, it can take a few days and it's like, okay, this is just slowing everything down. So what I started doing is I found out about Loom and it's got, a, uh, I think you can use it free, but I pay like it's, it's under $10 a month. I think yeah, yeah. it's quite cheap. But what I do is every time I finish a project, I just, um, I get a presentation ready I hit record, I go full screen. Um, I've got like my mic and everything because I do podcasting, but I just literally, I don't plan anything. I just talk through the work as I would if I was to present it. When, um, when I hit stop, it uploads automatically to the website. I can change the name of it. I can edit That's it if cool. I need to, like I can, I can cut it down. And then I copy and paste the link over to my client and then they can watch it when they want to. And you know what I found with this? I have got a client because of one of these videos, because one of my clients that I work with, sure. they sent over to another client or, or to another person that called me 
and he was already sold on it because he knew my work he knew how i presented he knew how much i charged because he spoke to the other guy yeah. he just wanted to go ahead that sounds brilliant and it's it's good yeah so i would recommend looking at lee and you know your your personality shows through like you're saying if there's a you know an instance that somebody wants to share your work because they were asked about where you got your branding or whatnot and then you have something way more substantial to show somebody. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to look into that. It's really good. And it's it's cheap. And, you know, ironically, most people that I've spoken to about this, they have applied it. And it saves time because yeah. you don't need to write emails to your clients to book in the calls. You don't need to have back and forth telephone conversations. Mm -hmm. You don't, like, even in meetings, like when you have a meeting with a client about this, usually you know, you need to do all the niceties at the beginning, you do your presentation, then there's feedback, like, like just a basic presentation can take a few hours of your time. Yes. But, but, but with Loom, literally, I'm doing 15 oh, minute, That's 15 minute long conversation uh, videos. And usually I get a quick email back saying, yeah, let's go ahead. Or, um, you know, a short telephone call afterwards to go through it. So um, really? yeah, I, I recommend you look into that. But then obviously, listeners, you know, if if they feel that could benefit them as well, look into that. It's a, it's a much more streamlined way of uh, doing it. And if clients want to have a follow-up Zoom call, just book that in. Mm -hmm. But they've seen it. They can share it with other people. They can watch it as many times as they want. If there's like 10 people that you need to present to, they can all watch it in their own free time. It's just much better for you and your client. Um, so yeah, I do recommend that. Definitely. Cool. So we've, we're nearly an hour. So I think it's probably a good time to wrap this up. But it's been really good to chat with you, Jesse, to, to get to know you a bit better and to talk through your process and, and how you work and, you know, uh, kind of what makes you click. Um, I, I think people will really enjoy this because, you know, you're very active in the Logo Geek community on Facebook. And uh, I think people will enjoy getting to know you. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, in a few years' time, we can do this again. Well, I, it was lovely and really appreciate the invite. Thank you so much, Ian. If you want to learn more about Jesse, head to his website, halfsizestudio.com. I'll link to that along with his social profiles in the show notes for this episode, along with a transcription of the conversation. And you can find it by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 142. And don't forget to take 30 minutes out of your day to create a mood board design to enter the perfect match. And like I said earlier, just by entering this, you will be gifted with a $50 gift voucher. So to learn more about that and to enter, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. So thanks so much for listening and I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast. <laughs>